I would like to read you a quote from uh, the Venerable Ajahn Chah, who was my teacher's teacher. And it captures this feeling of concentration in its spacious aspect, in its utilized aspect in many ways. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You'll see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So this stillness that comes as part of concentration that will eventually empower our mindfulness. This is one of the great motivations with which we do what's very tough work. huh? You're 24 hours in, it's not so easy saying, I'm just going to stay with the breath, is it? It's challenging. Sometimes more challenging than others, and sometimes it starts out well and goes off the rails for a while, or sometimes it starts nowhere and you eventually find your way tentatively into this. It's not easy. But the reward is so great. The aspiration is so worthy in that way. We more often think of concentration in terms of some altered state of mind where we get so concentrated we are in uh, uh, some sort of realm that is very pleasant for us. This was uh, a poem by Yeats called Vacillations. And it describes an experience he had when he became ecstatically concentrated. My 50th year had come and gone. I sat, a solitary man, in a crowded London shop, an open book, an empty cup, on the marble tabletop. While on the shop and street I gazed, my body of a sudden blazed, and twenty minutes more or less, it seemed so great my happiness that I was blessed and could bless. Anybody have that experience today? (laughs) So concentration has those moments in it in smaller doses or even larger doses than that. And so we can uh, get to viewing concentration in a single way because of how we first got exposed to it or because some experience happened to us or uh, things we read about. Lots of different ways that we can get to uh, creating a kind of fixed view around concentration. In the classic Buddhist definitions of concentration, uh, just to give you uh, two or three, a mental state of being fixed on one point. A mental state of being fixed on one point. That's sort of like our everyday concentration also, huh? We're fixed on getting the tax returns done or we're fixated on uh, uh, repairing something or getting a project done. So there's a one-pointedness to it. I always think of that one-pointedness in terms of regular activity is like threading the needle. 
you have to really be concentrated in that moment to thread the needle. And we all uh, can, or when our eyes were better, could thread the needle, when our hands were steady. And so therefore we've all known in small and large ways concentration as this one-pointed state. It's not really something foreign to us, even if we've never uh, explored it in meditation before. So a second definition that's classic uh, Buddhist is one-pointedness of mind. This is called concentration. Another definition, the four meditative absorptions, the jhana states, which I will not be talking about tonight, but which we will be talking about, including in other talks talking about the jhana factors that lead to these, uh, these absorption states or jhana states. And then, like a, a modern teacher describes concentration as the mind stable, calm, and releasing. The mind stable, calm, and releasing. We uh, are asking you to view it as a way of relating to it, having a direct relationship to it, so that you can develop your own felt sense with it, your own intimacy with it your own empowerment around it. We're asking you to notice it as two activities, the collecting activity, collecting the mind. What is the opposite of a collected mind? It's a scattered mind. It's not, a, a, a scattered mind is over here and over there and everywhere. It's not, it's not gathered, it's not in one area, it's not in one point. It's, it's everywhere. So there's this collecting. It's like hurting the cats, you know. You're, you're, you're gathering it all into one place. And then the second part, unifying. And that's where as we gather the mind, we become so at one with it that we become one with whatever our object of concentration is. So this, this unification of mind both are important because it's very difficult to unify a mind that's not collected, as you may have noticed. Oh, I'm going to really get unified with my breath, but in the meantime you're thinking about your back and then you're thinking about lunch. And Very difficult to get unified if we're not somewhat collected. So this gathering, this gathering, bringing together so that there's, there's a momentum and then the unification, to whatever degree that unification occurs. We're doing something here that's um, noteworthy in that we are not practicing concentration in relation to a high stimulation. You see, most concentration comes about because something is stimulating us in that object that makes us concentrate on that object or that task or that person. So there's some stimulation. So we are actually not so much with choice. We're swept into the concentration. That's fine. But we're seeking a different relationship, one that is less reactive to the stimulation and one that is more responsive to our own choice. So we're taking a relatively neutral object, the breath, for practice. But we could take in a lot of other objects just as well that were also neutral. 
And we are choosing to collect the mind and unify the mind around that object. That's a lot of empowerment. That gives us a lot of choice. That gives us a lot of skill in our mindfulness practice. It gives us a lot of skill in our sila, in our keeping the precepts in daily life. It gives us a lot of, uh, of skill, of power, of choice in relation to being able to choose in a high stimulation situation what we stay concentrated on. So many, many benefits from this. But to have you notice it in terms of phenomena, what is this we're doing? Oh, we're developing choice. We're learning how to choose what we want to play, pay attention to, to place our attention on an object of our choice and to continue it resting there. Any object. We are getting independent from conditions. Independent from conditions. This is very important in terms of mindfulness practice and uh, very important in letting loose of greed, hatred, and delusion. Very important in terms of the hindrances of mind. It's such an empowerment towards our own well-being, towards our own freedom. And uh, you will see some of that in the course of this retreat, I'm quite sure of. Tonight, we're just still in that very early stages of beginning our inquiry. So tonight, I'm asking you to uh, settle back a little and imagine that you've just arrived in a new neighborhood. Now, maybe you're going to be staying here for a week or a month or you've just moved here, but it's a new neighborhood to you. You're glad to be here, but you don't know your way around so well yet. So you had this friend in the neighborhood that was already living there, and the friend says, hey, let's take a stroll through the neighborhood. Let's just see what's in the neighborhood. So there's a kind of meandering. It's not like I'm going to learn all the cross streets and I'm going to learn where the bakery is and where the dry cleaners is and all of that. It's much more, let's stroll the neighborhood and get a feel for the neighborhood. That's one of the uh, great uh, uh, pleasures for me when I travel. I'm not much of a regular tourist. I'm not so interested in what I'm supposed to see and all that. But I love to walk the neighborhoods. I, I feel as though that's how I uh, really understand a people, a culture, a city. It's by just strolling through this neighborhood and letting all the different impressions just come in. And so I'm inviting you to do this with me tonight. may not be your regular way, but uh, to, let's, let's try this together. A part of that is in the continuity of our practice. We're taking our breath on this stroll. So we stay with our breath throughout this talk. The, the words, they may be interesting, not interesting. Either way, you stay with the breath. Right now, are you with your breath? Right now. So off we go on our stroll. The dictionary definition of concentration has five parts to it that I would bring to our attention. 
it refers to concentration as bringing to a common center. When we are concentrated and our our emphasis is on the concentration, what's common is the concentration. So we can have a number of objects come through a concentrated state of mind and stay concentrated because it's all in this common center of knowing. So what are we concentrated in? We're concentrated in knowing. We can be knowing a single object like the breath, or we can be knowing whatever's arising in this field. But there's this common, the concentration allows everything to come into this, this centralized knowing. A second definition is that of directing the attention of the mental faculty. So there is this mental faculty of, of cognizing. We can cognize, we can, we can uh, focus on something, we can, we can know it in some way. And attention is like the spotlight that shines so that the, the knowing faculty can really fully see. So it's the active movement of knowing towards and it. It lights it up and then knowing can occur. If we are not paying attention, it may be in our field, but we're not recognizing it because we've not directed this, this uh, faculty of knowing towards towards the object. So attention. So you are paying attention to the breath over and over again. It's a modest undertaking in one way and a heroic in another. It's not easy to do. You've seen how hard it is. So it's heroic to take on something that large. But our attitude in our practice in terms of what's skillful is modesty. You know, I'll take what I get. Maybe, maybe this uh, will have a few moments with the breath. Maybe I'll have none. Maybe I'll have 20 minutes with the breath. Who knows? Very modest. We're modest because what we're doing is bringing our practice into play, not bringing results into play. So it's not the end, but the practice. And I'll come back to that. A third definition is the increasing strength or purity. So the purity of what? We're increasing the purity of attention. As we get with the breath and stay with the breath, we start to see the pleasantness of the breath, its mysterious nature. This, oh, it's called the happy breath, this, uh, the breath of joy. Lots of different words have been used to describe it. We are purifying our relationship to the breath by this, keeping our attention on it so the attention is more and more one with the breath. It's purified attention. It's breath attention, not breath attention and uh, what's for lunch attention, but just breath attention. And as we, as we purify that attention, we purify our relationship to it. And so we can, we can experience it more clearly and more intimately. And any object that we are in that kind of relationship with brings a kind of happiness, a kind of uh, well-being or pleasure. Any object. You could take your big toe, and if you really stay focused on your big toe long enough, there's a sense of delight. What we discover over time is that the reason there is that delight is because when the mind is centered 
and unmoving, when that stillness is there, the mind is by nature delightful. It is, it, it, it's its natural state is one of delight, one of well-being. And so when we're getting concentrated, we're actually sort of having the object reflect back what is the, what is the nature of mind. You may not believe this. It's okay. <laughs> Don't have to believe it. But I would ask you that you trust your own ability to notice and be open to see if maybe this is true to just stay open to it in that way. There's a a little um, subtlety in the way in our tradition we talk about concentration because we talk about it as one-pointedness, which we tend to think of as one-pointedness meaning one object, so just the breath. Or it could be gazing at a candle or the the casino like uh, Sally spoke about last night. So one-pointedness, meaning one single object, very kind of narrow object in that way. But as my teacher, the Venerable Sumedho, describes it, it's also this kind of uh, one-pointedness that includes everything. So it's a one-pointedness in which all is in that one point. And in mindfulness, that's the kind of concentration we have. The concentration for insight is so steady, it's so concentrated, but everything is included in it, in the the maturing practice of mindfulness. So it's it's both this closed circle, so we're, we're circling around and we circle everything, we've collected it into a circle and then it becomes one point, just the breath. And it's also the whole circle. So one point and the whole circle. And we will feel in our development with the breath, sometimes it feels one-pointed like that single point, and other times it feels spacious and big. We are encouraging you in these first few days of the retreat to uh, uh, invite in that spaciousness of mind, so that more circular feeling, and then just let it evolve naturally that you get more and more one-pointed with the breath. Why? Because the mind that is contented is much more willing to be concentrated. The mind that is happy is more willing to be uh, concentrated. The, the approximate cause of concentration is this happy mind, this sense of well-being in mind which can come about in a whole lot of different circumstances, some that you would not think would be leading to that feeling in the mind, but it can. So again, being very careful not to imagine how it's supposed to be, as I said the first night, but this beginner's mind, don't know mind, I'm going to show up for this practice and see what unfolds for me in it. A fourth definition is to render less dilutable. So you make something more pure, it's less diluted. The mind, when it's running around, is pretty diluted. But when it's concentrated, it's concentrated on one thing. It's, it's got a purity of its, of its attention. And this is what empowers the mindfulness, is this, this ability to uh, have the, uh, this concentrated mind in this way, that it's not so diluted by various things, including the hindrances of mind. 
And then another definition is having a common center, meaning that a mind is not colored by the object, but it's centered in the knowing capacity. So this, this uh, resting back in the experience of knowing. We will talk a lot about resting in the breath. I will say more about it tonight. It is a literal resting. It is literal. You are resting. You're resting back into. You're just resting on. There's not this uh, uh, pushing or pulling at the experience. Uh, Analio Bhikkhu says that there's three advantages to concentration. The mind becomes stable and receptive. That there is intense pleasure and happiness that becomes available. And there develops an inner stability and integration. We're able to withstand disturbances without being disturbed by them. So these various advantages, we're just walking through the neighborhood. I'll come back and forth between specifics of practice and then these, these broad statements. So for me, the skill of, of concentrating, one uh, reflection is that in, in the Buddhist uh, Theravadan tradition, it's mostly verbs and not nouns. So we, it is not like a single moment of samadhi, but it's like samadhiing, concentrating, that there is this ongoing relationship of, these, of this skill. So it's, it's not like we get there and now we're done with it. It's something we're always going to be doing. So having that kind of um, uh, organic sense of the living of concentration. So for me, in, in our ability to concentrate, we do learn to protect the mind from the hindrances. Those of you who know the hindrances, and we'll be talking more about that. And therefore, we are able to stay with experiences and penetrate their real meaning to have insight around them. And this does create well-being. When our mind's concentrated, there's a sense of well-being. When it's really deeply concentrated... And then it, um, it allows us to uh, be open to life, all of life. Ajahn Suchito says, when the mind uh, relaxes into concentration, that the, that the mind will relax naturally into concentration. And that it's a kind of spacious feeling, and that's what we're asking you to develop. And it's a kind of settling, the spaciousness and then settling. He, he refers to it as the joy of embodied presence. So right now with your breath, is there an embodied presence through the breath? Can you receive uh, teachings and have your own sense of well-being that's contained, that's not based on any condition other than your being there with your breath? Your own presence allows you to settle in to be comfortable in a wider range of conditions than maybe you would be. So, uh, hold up your left hand. Put it in front of your chest. Now, first of all, squeeze the left hand with your right hand. That's grasping. We all know that that's not very pleasant and brings suffering, right? So let that go. Now, Start to push with your right hand, but resist with the left hand. So you can be pushing on the breath. As you push, do you notice some tension in your body? That's the kind of tension that gets in the mind when we're pushing. 
Let that go. Shake out your hands for a moment. Now, don't don't really don't really uh, settle into your hand, but just let your right hand sort of hover, touching and not touching the breath. So uh, the, the the hand. So one moment it's touching the hand, and one moment it's not. It's going back and forth. That's tiring, huh? Just because it's there's no there's no resting in that. Shake out the hands again. Now. Start to pull the hand towards you. So, but just keep pulling and pulling. That being pulled also would get tiring and irritating. So we don't push the breath. We don't pull the breath. We don't hover with the breath. But rather, now just bring your hand up and just settle your right hand into the left. That's the softening into. So it is that when we, when we relax our attention, we soften into and keep your hands up there for a moment and just notice how much you can feel about your left palm and fingers when you're just being soft. There's all of that. You notice the heat. You can notice whether it's a hard surface uh, or a soft surface. You can notice if there's a sense of well-being or not and let that go. So our relationship to the breath, this, this, uh, the mind naturally relaxing into concentration has this sense of the, 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 uh, this relaxed attention. So there's the spotlight, but it's not a harsh spotlight. It's gentle, and it just settles into it. And that settling into is how it becomes one with. It, it has a penetrating quality, a unifying quality as it softens. Harsh attention bounces off an object. It'll bounce off an object. Throw the ball and watch it bounce off something, you know. But so we're not we're not bouncing off and we're not trying to do something to the breath. No, we're just being there with it. Oftentimes uh, we're asked, Well, how much effort do I use in staying with the breath? And it's a very good question. And it's a question that is ask over and over again, because how much effort is appropriate in this moment? Because there's not a set answer as to how much effort is appropriate to stay with the breath. So it's not, it's not an abstract thing, but it's a, again, it's in the moment lived. You're in a living relationship, a very intimate relationship with this moment's breath. That's what you're interested in. It seems a little strange to hear it said that way, maybe. But that's what's so wonderful about this. It's because this is your chosen object. Just as if you would take really good care of a baby and you'd, you'd have all this interest in the baby, you'd really concentrate on this baby. So you're concentrating on the breath. And as you do that, you will develop this intimacy. That the sacredness of breath, the gift of life of breath, becomes palpable to us. So... Uh, my suggestion is that when you're thinking about effort is actually don't start with how much effort, but start with remembering what your purpose is, your goal, your aspiration. Oh, I'm wanting to be more collected and unified around the breath. So that you, that, that aspiration alone sometimes provides the effort. So there's not any added effort you have to make. And then to confirm that you are intending in this very moment to be with the breath. Oftentimes, people will be sitting and uh, they have this goal of getting concentrated, 
but they don't remember that this very moment they're intending to be concentrated. This very moment. So this very moment I intend to be with the breath. This very moment. And this very moment. And this very moment. And that renewing of that intention as opposed to like a direct effort, that too sometimes can be enough. Oh, just feeling my intention. So we've had our aspiration, which is a long-term, it's a future, our intention, which is this moment. And so we're getting lined up. We're getting lined up with this movement towards being with the breath. And then we bring effort or will into play. How much effort, how much will, we will discover by trial and error. We will get it right sometimes, we'll get it wrong sometimes, it'll be clear sometimes why we got it wrong sometimes. Complete mystery, not important. We're learning, we're in a dance of experience with this experience. We will be talking about the five jhana factors, these five absorption factors that help us be with the breath. But tonight I only want to mention two, and that is this connecting, because this is where the the will or effort comes in, that we make an effort to connect to the breath. It will not happen automatically if we don't remember our purpose and our non-intending And if we don't apply, because we can be all agitated from our yogi job or because we didn't know we're sort of groggy from, uh, you know, having taken a nap or something. So there's a there's a there's a mindful effort. I am going to connect to the breath that that is the first of the five jhana factors. And then the second of those five jhana factors is to sustain that connection. I choose insofar as I am able as best I am able, I choose to stay with this experience of breath. Why? Not because it's immediately rewarding, but because the choosing itself is rewarding. The choosing itself. Practice is rewarding in itself. Please, please, please hear this. Of all things tonight, that shift in attitude where practice is its own reward, is so empowering. Because then it's, you're, you're less irritated if you're having a hard time. You're, you're less uh, disappointed in yourself or whatever it may be. Practice is its own reward. I am, it is my value that I be able to choose where I place and keep my attention. This is a value. I believe that this is an empowerment in my life. And therefore, I am learning how to do it. And however much I learn, I can't control, but I can sure make the effort. And I'm choosing that because that's my value. And so then uh, we, we, we make effort. We, we, we use a certain amount of willpower, like we're a little firm with ourselves. I sometimes liken it to if you've, you've got a dog on a leash, it's a big dog and it, it will pull you here and there, but you're walking down a busy street and it's important that you hold on to that leash. So you're bringing the dog back into the safe area so the puppy doesn't get hit by a car. Or another image I will use, and I may end up using this in one of the meditations, is you're holding the hand of a little a girl or a little boy walking down that same busy street. You're not squeezing that hand to hurt the child, and you're not jerking the child's arm. Why would you do that? But you are alert. 
And you're holding on to that child's hand because in her excitement, she could pull out of your hand and run into the street. So you're, you're alert. And there's an intention, there's a will being applied, but it's gentle. And so you will hear us talk about uh, when you uh, find yourself having wandered off, you come back to the breath gently but firmly. Gentle but firmly. So watching uh, our, our uh, tendency sometimes to be a little violent when we're coming back to the breath. That violence is disrupting to that sense of well-being. Oh, I've wandered off. Okay. Pause for a moment and then just come back to the breath. Many times we can uh, see our thoughts pulling us, our body sensations pulling us, and we can just hold on to the breath. The breath can uh, come to go into the background, but we're still aware of it, and then we bring it back to the foreground, and that puppy dog is running around in the background. And we accept those conditions. We've got a puppy dog mind right now, but we're not, we're not losing our connection because that's, that's our priority. The child's walking down the street with us. We're seeing traffic, hearing things, uh, lots of things going on, but we're not losing our sense of connection to that child. This is the feeling of working with the breath that, uh, that can also help in terms of efforting. Also, what can help is the, these paramis of patience and persistence. So if nothing else in this particular sit, which is filled with restlessness and sleepiness simultaneously, and a backache and uh, a, a cramp in my ankle, if nothing else, I'm working with patience and persistence. And boy, that's really valuable. So just knowing that if nothing else, to ta- we can take comfort in that we're developing that. And it really affects our nervous systems. When we are with the, uh, the object, when it's difficult, we are learning to uh, tolerate a much wider range of stimulation and, and still have choice. So you may not see this right away, but over time, this becomes very, very useful in all of your life. This patience and persistence that is more and more independent of the conditions. So the nervous system, just it's, it's able to choose patience. It's able to choose persistence. Even though there's a lot of distraction, a lot of uh, negative reinforcement. You can feel maybe how empowering that is as you sit there with your breath in this moment. Feeling your breath in this moment. Feeling the breath in the body in this moment. This embodied breath, as Ajahn Sujito has said, this embodied breath. Right now, the breath is full. Later on, maybe it'll be just very removed. But right now, maybe the breath in the whole body, or just the breath in the body. Later on, just breath. Body may have disappeared in a particular sit. You have no sense of part of your body, or any part of your body. There's just this sense of breath. That's great. But this is too. This breath in the body as a whole. Because you are present with the breath. You are living it in this moment. One thing that um, can help as we're doing this practice is the idea that we're surrendering to the practice. I don't know how well I'm going to do. I surrender. I can't control this. I can choose to be present and do it. But controlling this, I surrender. But 
I can choose to be present. I call that, am I being available? I, I often say this in terms of, am I being available to the Dharma? But in the same way, you can say, am I being available to knowing the breath? Right now, you can ask yourself. So just to do a little trial run, ask yourself right now, are you being available to being with the breath? I'll ask myself that. My answer was that, yes, I am. Of course, I've been this whole time trying to be, but I'm a little pushy my, my, the, my, uh, because I am trying to keep my thoughts organized. I'm a little pushing at the breath. So I'm touching on the breath in that pushing way with the breath. And so I says, ah, oh, settle back a little, Philip. Just let the breath come in more. Monte Gunarata says that there's three meanings of this word samadhi. The narrow meaning is one-pointedness. Another larger meaning is the state of united consciousness, this, this collected and unified, that unified. Three is a method of practice, that samadhi meaning a method of practice. And to that I would add a fourth, which is a means of developing the mind. We are really developing our mind's capacity in this week. It's a very worthwhile thing to be doing. Concentration as a practice, concentration as a skill, concentration as a mental faculty, concentration uh, as, as a, uh, a, a mental state is very uh, central to all of the Dharma, all the Buddhist teachings. It is one of the four qualities that's said in the Satipatthana Sutta to be necessary for practicing mindfulness, that the mind is free from desire and discontent. It's uh, one-third of the sections of the Eightfold Path. There's the, the Panya, the Wisdom section. There's the Sila section, the Behavior section. And then the Mindfulness and Right Effort and, and Samadhi section. And it is the eighth and the last of the Eightfold Path in that way. It's one of the seven factors of enlightenment. So it's central, it's central, this concentration. And what we're developing is the felt sense of concentration, where we feel the breath, the felt sense of breath, and we learn to have a felt sense of concentration. Oh, I can feel that my mind's getting somewhat collected and unified, because I recognize this. Yeah, so there's a, there starts to be a felt sense of it. That, and as we get the felt sense of concentration, we can more easily choose to go to it under ever more uh, stimulating situations. So we can choose in the midst of a meeting uh, at, at, at our work or sitting at the hospital waiting for uh, uh, finding out a result to concentrate the mind, even though there's a lot of fear or uncertainty or anxiety present. We can choose because we've developed this felt sense. Of, we know where it is now. We've learned our neighborhood. So we know, oh yes, I want to go over to the park and sit on that bench. That's how I will get concentrated. We have a felt sense of where it is for us, this concentration. This is not going to come all at once, but it does come. And the Anguttanakaya, it, it says the four utilizations of concentration are for pleasant abiding, that Sally talked about last night, they're called calm abiding, and for knowledge and vision, for mindfulness and alertness, 
and for the end of the taints or the fetters. So all of these different uses, again, so worthwhile as we're sitting here breathing in this moment. uh, Sally last night also talked about noticing our attitude as we are practicing, concentrating, as practicing being with the breath. Are we demanding of ourselves? Are we demanding that this moment be some way other than it is? Does that demand really help? I would say that that demand is not effort, but is in fact the opposite of effort. It's a reactive mind state that's getting in the way of your efforting. You can see for yourself. We can also see if we have harshness. Harshness in our commentation, our commentary to ourselves or harshness in the way we're actually directing attention to the breath. The harshness can be in the form of that hardness that I talked about. It can also be in a kind of uh, uh, irritation, being the breath that's kind of, I'm irritated. Uh, and so we, we notice those conditions and say, well, is this, is this how we want to be with any object? Don't we have a value of kindness? Can't we be kind with the breath in this moment? Can't we be kind with ourselves and our own limitations? Is our harshness to our limitations in any way helping us? And then we can notice also if there's a tension. Sometimes we can't do anything about the tension. We're tense for a thousand reasons. But we can be with that tension with kindness. And as we are with that tension, sometimes that tension will go away on its own. We can do all of the coming back into the body as, as the way that Temple led us in the meditation this morning and, and Andrea later in the day and some of the things I was doing. All these different ways that we can uh, release that tension or in, invite the tension to go. Maybe it will and maybe it won't. But we're, we're, we're developing a, a knowledgeable, a conscious, a fullness of relationship to this experience. So it's not this rote, 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 being with the breath, being with the breath. It's a 360, it's a fullness of relationship, a fullness, this intimacy, becoming intimate with the breath, allowing what's mysterious in all of manifestation to be known through the breath. Why, in opening to the mystery, would we be harsh? Does it make sense? You can notice, as I ask you today, if you are commenting on your experience, and insofar as you can, stop commenting. You notice it, but you don't have to comment the judging it, making these judging statements, oh, this is bad, this is good, or this, uh, oh, uh, this person next to me is so still, and here I am being so restless. All that comparing mind. We don't need to bring that in. It will come a lot, but we can release it a lot, too. Not every time, but a lot. And so we just come back to being with the breath without commenting on the relationship. You can also notice if you have doubting mind. I can't ever do this. This doesn't work. This wasn't right for me. These teachers aren't the kind of teachers I need. Whatever it is. This is, you know, there's something going on with my stomach and so this isn't the time for me to do this. That doubting mind is so... A crippling to this process. And we'll be saying more about doubting mind later. And then I would also ask you to notice if your mind is fearful. You go, my mind's not going to be fearful when I'm being with my breath. Look and see. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. 
The fear can be very subtle. You can be afraid of being bored. You can be afraid of failure. And it's affecting your doing this because you are attached to the results in such a way that you won't really try because you're afraid you're going to fail. You can also be afraid because as you're starting to get more concentrated, some things may happen that you're not in control of and you don't like that. And you pull away without ever really noticing that you're pulling away because you just don't know what those are. Or there's a sense of losing control, period, that you don't like. And then another fear that I like to mention uh, in general with our practices, all of our practices in this tradition, we are so often afraid of our own great capacity. I would suggest that we're more afraid of our capacity than we are of our inadequacies. And this applies to concentration. Because what does it mean if you can be more concentrated? What does that mean for the rest of your life? What would be called to change? If you start to have more choice, now you're stuck with having that knowledge that you have more choice. Not such a good thing to think about sometimes because there's things that we don't want to give up that we know we should give up, but we can't give up because it's just who we are. Oh, but now there's choice? Yeah. So uh, be curious about is there any fear present as I'm doing this practice? Not constantly, but check in two or three times a day. Well, is there any fear here? What is this fear? Oh, well, I'll have to say I did my best and it wasn't very good. Oh, I don't want to have to say that to my friend who's here on the concentration retreat with me, that I have to say that, or somebody at home or my teacher. Oh, uh, I'm afraid that if if I do this too much, I will sit so still it's going to hurt my body. Oh, I didn't know I was afraid of that. Is this true or not true? So that we, we, we see what's in the way of this. One story about uh, surrendering. Uh, one time I was called at the, uh, this person had just sat a three-month retreat and uh, uh, was calling me because they'd had certain experiences of concentration on that retreat And they were home now and they were still working with those experiences and looking for some help. And uh, they wanted, they started telling me about how all this happened. So they were on a three-month retreat and they'd sat for some number of weeks and every, they had been okay, but there was no great concentration coming. But it had been okay. The mornings were particularly good. Afternoons, not good. The sit right after lunch, you know, the nap sit. We all have that nap sit. Um, just a disaster, falling asleep every single time. And so uh, there the person was sitting in the hall, and sure enough, here came the sleepiness. And at this point, the person said, I can't can't beat this. There was a kind of, ah, surrender. As the person surrendered, that, that, that kind of, uh, the, the sleep which had in it a kind of concentration. The problem was there was more concentration than there was energy. That's a whole other talk about balancing these factors that way. But there was not enough energy to support the concentration. But as they, the person surrendered, all of the energy that they were spending about uh, trying to be other than they were and their disappointment, all that energy suddenly became available. And, and the, the relaxed mind, this relaxed attention, blossomed. 
And lo and behold, there arose this great state of concentration. Out of nowhere, from the person's perspective, out of nowhere. And wow, you know, some really uh, wonderful uh, sits happened over the remaining parts of that retreat where the person was able to be concentrated. So the, the modesty, this just loving the practice, surrendering, being available, this is all very real. Gratitude can have this same kind of effect. I was sitting in the last row of the cushions back there oh, five years, six years ago, I don't remember how long ago now, and uh, the Venerable Sumedho was sitting up here, and this was the five o'clock sit in the morning, and um, he talks during that first sit in a kind of free association way, and it's very interesting, but not good for concentration. And so, um, and I like that first sit in the morning for concentration purposes. I encourage you to explore it, that, those of you who have bright minds in the morning. And so, uh, this was happening to me, and I was seeing that my mind wasn't getting very concentrated. But I was reflecting, and I was thinking, you know, I'm so glad I met him, that I have him as a teacher. I so appreciate his qualities. And I was just sort of sitting there having a, a love fest over his great qualities and my gratitude to being exposed to these qualities. And I kind of noticed that I was getting more and more concentrated, but not in a, it didn't, I wasn't noticing it as like, well, here I'm going to go practice this. I was just, my mind was very settled. At the end, I had no desire to move at all. So I sat there for a very long time and then a very concentrated state and then went down to breakfast in such a concentrated state that as I would walk by a person, I could actually feel the person's energy body and it felt like touching marshmallows. Never had the experience before or since. It was such a delight, this marshmallow touching of one energy body after another. And of course, immediately I watched to see would my mind try to hold on to this. But I'd had lots of experience with trying to hold on to states before and it never worked. So I knew better. So I just let it have its time and then pass. But it all came about with no particular effort of I'm going to get really concentrated so there was no tension. And that my well-being came from my gratitude. So one way we can practice is we can think of the characteristics of the Buddha and that can give us a kind of gratitude that helps the practice in this way. Or you can take refuge in the Buddha or take refuge in the Dharma or the Sangha just as uh, we did last night. So I, I was sitting with Paiok, uh, 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 this wonderful Burmese teacher at Paok, and uh, uh, I had been. He he wanted us to practice concentration in a certain way, where we were concentrated for an hour, at least, on the breath without disturbance. And um, I, I was having a hard time doing that for an hour. And um, he said, "Okay," he said. Uh, in the next sit, when you're sitting there, as soon as you feel any wavering in the mind, take refuge in the Buddha. And I did. And it helped. And, but then after a while, it started wavering again, and I took refuge in the Buddha again, but it was still wavering. So I took refuge in the Dharma. And that helped. So I went back and I was reporting this to him, and I said, it helped. He said, well, would you, were you able to do it for an hour? And I said, no. I said, I, it didn't last for the whole hour. He said, well, did you take refuge in the Sangha? And I said, no. He said, well, that's it. 
You just go back and take refuge in the Sangha, and that'll do it. Not quite, <laughs> but it did help. <laughs> so as we uh, continue to walk through this neighborhood and to just get used to the idea that it's a multidimensional experience that we're involved in while we're sitting here with our breath in this moment, always remembering, <coughs> even if we've forgotten, now we're remembering. We also can uh, <coughs> notice certain things. In the course, uh, this is too early for you to notice these right now, that you're, you know, you're just getting started. <coughs> but as, as you get more concentrated in the week, uh, there's five things that I will notice in terms of my own experience with, uh, with these uh, more concentrated states. One is I'll be aware of the intensity of it. So the intensity can be very light or it can be fully dominating. So you feel, oh, there's some concentration here. But it's not, boom, that stillness that, that Ajahn Chah had in that first quote I read. But, oh, there's some concentration here. And the reason I have you notice this is because lots of times we are more concentrated than we appreciate. Or we're concentrated for a, uh, a few minutes with the breath and we didn't really notice that we were. And therefore we don't really uh, get the reinforcement that it would come. We're not, we, we, we're, we don't recognize our own momentum and we can sometimes undermine our momentum. So the, 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 there can be a very intense feeling of the mind being collected and unified or a more shallow version, but still there's some sense of the mind being collected and unified. Go with that, even if it's a very small sense. And any pleasant feeling, any sense of well-being out of that intensity of the mind being concentrated, no matter how small, include that in your awareness. We give you permission it's always been there to enjoy this practice. You're not doing something wrong if you're having a good time. And then secondly, we can notice the duration of our concentration. So uh, in the range of concentration, uh, there's a momentary concentration to uh, days and days or weeks of being in a concentrated state, various levels of that. So uh, in this retreat, notice... Uh, that, oh, well, here's these three breaths. I was concentrated. I was present for the, that entire three breaths. Ah, oh, so there's some duration here. Even if it's only an inhale, even if it's only an exhale, notice that duration. Because you're, you're training what's positive rather than training what's frustrating. It, it doesn't serve us to train what's frustrating. Oh, well, I was only present for uh, a breath and a half. Oh, that's no good. So what got reinforced? The no good. Oh, look at this. Present for this inhale. As you notice that, you get more familiar with it and it becomes more natural. You develop the habit. You're making those little neuron connections in your mind that they now tell us, uh, all these brain scientists are telling us about our practice so you're developing grooves, habits, defaults of being more concentrated. So recognize that of any length, any length whatsoever, notice it. When you start, 
you start where you are. If I ask the people sitting on this side of the room to stand up from over there, you couldn't do it, right? And if I ask you to stand up from this side of the room, you couldn't do it. And yet, in our practice, we often try to start someplace where we are not. So we're in a restless mind, and we're trying to start from a mind that's, that's totally content. We don't have that mind. We don't have that mind. So start just where you are. So you're, 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 you know, you're only able to touch the breath and it goes off. Start, you're, you're, you're having to go with all this restlessness. All the da, 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 da. Okay, just keep touching the breath right there. Don't try to impose something that's not present. Just start touching it there. And then as you keep touching it, it, it's like the puppy dog settles down eventually and stops jerking your arm out of the socket. It learns to walk beside you down that busy street. All sorts of things start to cooperate with you in your practice when you start where you are with this, you know, this heroicness of undertaking the practice, but this modesty of starting where we are. And then the second part of that is starting over. I commit to starting over. I cannot commit to staying with, but I can commit to starting over. So I will become great at starting over. This is a part of this patience and persistence. And it really works. It works in one single retreat. You don't have to wait uh, for some future retreat. This attitude will start to bear fruit right away. Some things take a lot longer, but this, this bears fruit right away. And so then we can also notice whether our, there's a steadiness to the concentration or is it wavering. So if it's wavering, don't panic. Lots of times people have told me about uh, in the interviews about, well, it might, it's, it's not stable enough, it's, it wavers, and then they, they're getting frustrated. Just, just hold your, uh, hold your uh, attention on that waveringness w- widely. Also, you're, so you're with the breath and it's, you sort of get concentrated and then it sort of goes off. Ah, on, off. That's okay. It will settle down if you don't get frustrated with it, if you don't start pulling and pushing at it. Just staying with it. And then noticing the depth of the concentration. Depth to me means how, how, how uh, easily disturbed it is. It's, it's okay if we're concentrated and a loud sound disturbs us. It's okay if our neighbor disturbs us and we lose the concentration. We can get so frustrated or so, oh, it's hopeless. No, this, being disturbed in my concentration is like this. And then just come back, just come back. And it's not there right now, it will come back. So we're not, we, we don't get defined by the fact that it's, that it's not yet that deep. We're starting where we are, and that allows it to deepen. The sense of well-being that comes from accepting the way it is is what allows it to deepen. This is this proximate cause of contented mind. So my mind's contented with my concentration is, is, is not, very, uh, very, uh, not very settled. It's not still. It's, it's somewhat easily disturbed. And then last, uh, I would have, uh, at least I in my practice, I will at times notice the scope of the, of the concentration. Is it really one-pointedness? Oh, it's not so one-pointedness. I'm not disturbed if I'm trying to be one-pointed with the breath 
and there's a sense of concentration uh, that's steady uh, and and it and it's it's got some duration but it's not really uh, resting fully there on the breath i just wait i keep moving in that direction and let it come or not come on its own maybe that won't work for you but it has worked for me so i'm i'm not trying to be in control so much when i'm doing this practice i i'm i'm i am being available more to it you know, you can't make the baby go to sleep, right? The baby goes to sleep and the baby goes to sleep. You will come in, into that one-pointedness. When you come into it, you're, you're doing what you know to do. You're, you've developed these forms of practice and you're doing those. But then you're very patiently waiting, inviting this to come. The stillness... I want to close with this. The stillness that can come, even though we may not be feeling all that concentrated, there is a stillness. We feel it in the room, in the practice. You are being in, uh, Sally was talking about the ocean, that the breath is the ocean, that you're the fish in the ocean, that you're already one with the breath, which is absolutely correct. This stillness is here in the room. The stillness is already in you, as far as that matter goes, no matter what you're experiencing on the surface, the stillness is always there. But we we have the advantage of this room, the stillness in this room. And sometimes for me, when I'm sitting uh, in a retreat, I let the, the room inspire me. I just appreciate that stillness in the room and it, it feels pleasant feels pleasant. And so my mind can become contented out of the stillness of, of the Sangha. And then uh, that settles down and we go in that way. So a tour of the neighborhood. Let's sit for a moment. this moment don't try to do concentration but just be concentration just be with the breath is there any intensity is there any feeling of concentration Smile at it. Is it lasting even for a small amount of time? Smile in appreciation. The felt sense happens really quickly. You know all of this. Is it steady or a little steady? Or occasionally steady. Is steadiness somewhere in the background? I- 
Is there any sense of depth, even if it's so shallow? But oh, I know what he means by depth. Yeah, it's rooted. Oh, it's not rooted, but I can I can imagine what rooted would be. Whatever concentration is present, is it one-pointed on the breath? Or is it more general, this general sense of a mind steady, stable? Thank you for your kind attention. It's time for walking practice and we'll be back at nine to. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.